0: It's Stompface, the Violence King, and you're listening to the MEP Report. Enjoy, or I punch you. Let my home back in Omaha to See if I can make it out in the world And I got as far as Wichita but suddenly, I wasn't sure anymore. Lost all my friends in Los Angeles, and I'm not welcome in New York. But I must stop back in Omaha, where the fans they always crying out for.
1: Mm. All right, in that case, welcome to member Port number 108, July 23rd, 2008. Yeah, what's going on? What's up, everybody out there? Welcome, greetings, and welcome to uh, show number 108. Uh, the gang's all here as usual, uh, Clea and Russ and I, and uh, we're uh, just here to provide you our humor entertainment.
0: Russ, week. did we ever tell you about how the baby books, the this one baby book has different sections based on the month? And then within each section, they'll have what possibly the child will be doing. And then, or they have probably, I think that was it, right? Just your baby will probably be doing this and baby will
1: possibly be doing that. Well, no, it says your baby should be able to. Oh, right, right, right. And then your baby, it's like like possibly.
2: Your baby should be able to crawl. Your baby may be able to walk. Your baby is possibly levitating. Right. right. So
0: Greg and I want to add a category of there's no way. So be oh, okay. your baby yeah. should be sitting up by herself. Your baby may be able to hold her weight for five minutes baby might be able to stand for 10 minutes and there's no way your baby might be able to levitate
1: there's no freaking way your baby <laughs> will be able to throw a 500 pound weight through the window and then stop it through the force of its mind mm. you know just just so we mm-hmm. have a a baseline that that no baby will reach yeah. you know
2: otherwise the baby with superpowers family won't be confused but i'm sure it's normal lots of babies <laughs> glide around on a cushion of
1: air the <laughs> the, uh, they all do that yeah and it's it's so funny because this is all just this is all so competitive as I think we've discussed before like even baby development is incredibly competitive so you know if the baby is not sitting up on time if the baby is not crawling on time if the baby is not walking on time you know it's it's all then you get lit then Clea gets to read these on the groups that she participates I'm not in not doing that anymore where people Greg. are just kind of like you know well I'm surprised your baby isn't walking because my baby has been skipping since the age of seven months and I don't my my Go other the baby web- is Brishnikov, uh, a protege.
0: Two months when all the mothers were reporting their babies was, were sleeping through the night, I stopped going to that website and I haven't been back since. That's Greg.
1: right, because they lie. They lie like a rug.
0: Why would they lie? They
1: all lie because then they win at the internet.
0: Why I, would they lie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand win- why these women would lie. They just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm just presuming that everyone who's who has the good fortune of having a baby that sleeps through the night says this, and then everyone who doesn't just doesn't See,
1: post. I think Russ and I need to explain something to you, Clea, and this is based really on your, your relatively late entrance into the world of Internet culture, but now that you've been home from work, you've been able to participate in it. So I want to explain this. Um, this is something which Russ and I would explain to you as how to win at the internet and what you need to realize is that on the internet there are two truths the first truth is that absolutely nobody is or does what they say they are or do okay no person on the internet is actually who they claim to be um, even if they you know are sort of mild about how they embellish you know how tall are you well i 'm actually six four and you know i 'm 200 pounds of solid muscle you know that's that's kind of a slight exaggeration in my case i 'm actually six three and I'm not solid muscle. I mean, there's muscle there, you know what I mean? But but I'm not talking solid muscle. Um Sorry. You know? And so that's the first thing. The second thing is that, about the internet, uh, is that your job is to win at the internet and you do this by proving how much super- more superior you are to everyone else, especially if you can somehow convince them of this lie about who you are or what it is that you do. So, you know, I beat so-and-so at the internet. I know this guy. I know this guy. I defeated this person and, you know, in personal combat on World of Warcraft, and so I am the man. Like, that's what people do all the time. Now, mothers don't really have the opportunity to waste their time on games like this. So instead, when mothers get on the Internet, they play the game of how to win at the Internet by lying about what their babies do and don't do. So when all these babies on the 2 month board, like, my baby was sleeping through the night, and my baby was actually singing opera at the age of four months, they're all lying. And the one who can convince somebody else that they're not lying, like they've convinced you, successfully has won at the Internet. You know,
2: I I counted ten in four languages when I was, like, before I was two. So? (laughs) And the internet didn't exist back then.
0: (laughs) See, this is what happens. We tell people that these people in our lives make these comparisons about, well, when I was a child or when you were a child, and then we go, I also couldn't eat solid
2: food at the time. I could, like, read before I could eat solid
1: food. Are you aware of that? Can you list off the solid foods in different languages? Do you still have this ability some now? Some
2: babies are good at some things, and some babies are good at other things. I was like memorizing Mozart, and you know, but on the other hand, I could not eat a cracker.
1: So <laughs> it's all relative. Can you read those languages out now, Russ? No, it was only when I was two. Oh, you regressed. It oh, it's sad. It's like flowers ah. for Algernon, the long-term edition. I mean, wh- because, because you Russ have is playing. Because Russ Wait, is winning the internet.
0: It's exactly what I was trying to explain to Greg Russ. That's exactly what I was trying to say. This is just what people do.
2: Right, we Russ. Just, wins we have the a internet. frame of reference. That's. I mean, the funny. So, thing, this so you can sort of related, but like if you've ever had a conversation with another human being, more often than not, it goes something like this. So anyway, the point of the story is I just love installing windows. And then the other person will, like, draw upon their life's work and their frame of reference to come up with something related to that, even though it's usually not. They're like, really? Because one time I looked out a window and I thought, wow, windows are great. Like it's very rare for people to actually engage in conversation. More often, what they do is like, I like this. Well, I like things too. I like this, and it's just a bunch of narcissistic jabbering at the other person about unrelated. Th- you know, kind of like what we do on the MEP Report. <laughs> is we all just have our own personal agenda of what we want to talk about, and then we try to make it kind of relate to what the other person said to make it look like a conversation. But really, there is no interaction. Now We're wait, all a minute, just wait, a wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Related beings. Wait a minute. Floating around the world without a care of. Any other person on this planet, and it's all just just jabberwocking
1: nonsense. Did, did somebody throw some like you know Nietzsche and Sartre super water into, into <laughs> your guys' drinks? today? What are you guys talking about? What, how did I walk into super cynicism mode? We're all isolated beings. That's not well, I true. I wasn't talking about that. I we interact simply, all the time. I was
0: just okay. <laughs> Russ was just doing Russ's thing of taking it to the nth degree. I was oh, just so it's simply just Russ. saying <laughs> all I was saying is that with
2: She can't relate to me. She's just like, oh, whatever Russ does, nobody understands that. <laughs> Russ I is just crazy time when and absurd. I tried absurd. to listen to Russ, and my brain exploded. So I understand; <laughs> it doesn't make any sense.
1: Uh, so I mean, yeah, I don't. I, I think that's the issue. Is I just don't think you're used to, you know, what these people do. So the point is, you can't take any of these people seriously, and you can't take any of them seriously about anything at all, ever. You, you can't
2: know? Take anybody okay. seriously. Everyone no, 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 is just no, no. a being in charge of their own self-interest. They don't give one whit to you or your concerns or those of your baby, and Therefore, it's all irrelevant.
0: You really are... No. These these women were not lying. You can't convince me that these all of these women were lying.
2: I'm lying about what? About your, her babies. There, okay, the
0: there, there was a the, post. It's one of these community board things where there's different threads. And someone started a thread saying... You know, my baby, this is what my baby's sleeping habits, you know, she's sleeping through the night, and th- so my ba- ba- my baby goes to bed at 8 and wakes up at 4. And then the next one was like, oh, my baby goes to bed at 9 and wakes up at 5. Oh, mine goes to bed at 7 and wakes up at
1: Then the next six. one goes, oh, my baby, back, baby, back, baby, back, baby. Oh, I'm sorry. They don't really do that. Ribs. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chilies. Baby, back, ribs. Sorry.
0: So I, so I responded saying, okay, I guess I... If, <laughs> Odd, see, because <laughs> my
1: lost baby, the by being the only honest one of the bunch. She's like, well, my baby really isn't sleeping too the night. My baby
0: sleeps two to three... Because this is at two months. Two to three hours at a time. So, I guess...
1: But see, when they saw that, they assumed you were lying like everyone else. They're like, oh, wow. Her baby sleeps five to ten minutes at a time. That really, really sucks. Because no one ever says what they really well, no, are. I,
0: I said, you know, am I missing something? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the deal? Because my baby's sleeping two to three hours at a time. And then a few women posted after that, saying, yeah, I'm, you know, the same way, and... But it was literally, like, a hundred women, like, one after the next, gang, oh, yeah, mine's... Da-da-da-da.
1: A hundred women?
0: And then they would try to make it, like, say, well, mine doesn't take any naps during the day, but, you know, she sleeps well, at night. my baby's a
1: serial killer, see, but at least she sleeps at night. Ah, uh, young Clea. <laughs> you
2: see, there are two worlds. There is the real world, and there is the lying world. And in the lying world, people don't have to tell you what's really going on because nothing they say is associated with their their face. And really, without a face, their face, people will say whatever they want, and they don't have any ramifications. There's no accountability. They just say whatever they want. They're not. I mean, half of the people on your mother's board are probably 16-year-old boys.
1: It's just exactly. not <laughs> 16-year-old boys named Terence. Why do they have to be named, all Terrence. named Terrence. I don't know. It's the lying world. <laughs> the lying world. Terence is an exciting name. Oh wow!
0: Why would they be lying? I don't understand why they would lie.
1: Because that's because how you win. Because they don't like
2: themselves. They're bored with their own lives. They wish for other lives. Sometimes they wish that they were young mothers, and then they live out their fantasies on the internet.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's the issue you know so I mean and, and I think that uh, I think that again now see what you're getting is a relatively mild form of it when Russ used to get into his uh, his flame wars on the internet which were very exciting flame wars you know Russ routinely would say things like you know uh, you are a poor excuse for the breath of life um, you know why did the Jaws if, if the Jaws of Life were available to rescue you from a car they should crush the car around you even more so you don't escape yeah, you know things like that I mean totally so. acceptable in the lying world you can tell someone that they should have been
2: or that they were a failed abortion or that they should have been a successful abortion right Mm -hmm. and the reason that you can say that is because you're acknowledging that you don't acknowledge them as a person and on the Mm. internet or lying world as it were they're not a person they're just a series of ones and zeros coming through a lying brain anonymously and nobody takes anything
0: seriously I don't understand how anyone could do that that's
1: just so wrong
2: Welcome to the future,
1: do you think that this gets because uh, I think this gets us in a discussion about the way that people treat each other in general terms? Do you think that the See, I was going to say that if you, you know, in general society, you don't say these things because of the issue of politeness, and people generally think that politeness and civility is a good thing. But I wonder, would it be would it be better to have a more honest society if, when somebody said something to you, your response, you know, and you were really annoyed at them, your response was to be like, "Wow, I wish that I could rip off your head and then toss it into you know a vat of acid right now." Like, would it be helpful if you could really express? Because that's the point. There have been literary forms. There's a form of poetry called confessional poetry where you're able to express every bit of anger that you feel about a person or every bit of emotion no matter how radical it is and that was very controversial because people said oh this is over the top maybe we should you know introduce this into general society you know the hell with civility maybe we should just come out and be like you know what i love you usually but in this particular moment i hate you so much that i wish that um you know you would um, burn in hellfire um forever you know maybe that would well, be more I mean, honest you know
2: I think I think you've raised an important question, like what is the purpose of civility other than lying for the purpose of keeping the peace? But, I mean, if you could really say whatever you wanted and distance yourself emotionally from what you're saying, so not I'm about to kill you and I wish you were dead, but, you know, in the abstract, hypothetically, it would be better if you were dead. And you could just say that to someone, like, maybe it would be better. Maybe it would make people uh, look at themselves and try to recognize why they were so reviled by their... You know, their fellow man. Maybe
1: it would be a good thing.
2: Um, Other than thinking everything's okay because people have just, you know, general courtesy and that's how they
1: they deal with them. But then on the flip side, courtesy does protect you from that sort of immediate reaction, right? If someone cuts you off in traffic and your reaction is, I will throw you off a bridge, death! You know, like maybe if you have a second because of general society's civility, it sort of makes you calm down and realize, you know, I really don't want the person to jump off a bridge. Like, that's a little strong. You know, I'm annoyed at them. but But So maybe that saves us from ourselves, huh? I don't think courtesy has
2: really gotten rid of road rage in our society so it hasn't hasn't fixed that problem.
1: I don't know. I just wonder a little bit whether there isn't something to be said for, you know, whether we want to go down the honest path or not. Because, I mean, it is true. I think we should. I think uh, it's good as a policy, especially in this
2: society where lying is just so commonplace and like everyone makes up things in their resume because if they don't, you know, the competitors will and they're going to get the job. And so therefore I have to lie and connive and manipulate everything. And there are a lot of people who just operate that way. And I'd like to think that it's only especially in this particular city where I am, but it's really sort of everywhere. And uh, I don't know. I I think something has got to turn that tide the other way. You
1: can't just have a nation of liars running around. (laughs) We have a nation of impolite people. I don't know. You hear all the time about how people say that there's a breakdown in civility, though, and there's a breakdown in in sort of civil discourse, and everyone does just yell and scream at each other. And so, I don't know. Maybe that's just the sort of... Well, they do on the Internet. Well, <laughs> yes, I think we've established that. But I wonder a little bit about that kind of thing. Meanwhile, while, Cle- while I'm doing... What do you um, wonder? I, I don't know. I wonder whether we sh- there should be or should not be honest discourse. I'm distracted because Cleo, for some reason, has been looking at avian flu uh, conspiracies. I'm not really sure what this has mm-hmm. to do with anything, but...
0: Well, um, I, was, I was thinking... It's
1: more lying. It's government lying. <laughs> that. Oh, I see. <laughs> it's a broad lie. <laughs>
0: Yeah, honestly, that—that's what yeah. reminded me of it because we have—we're on this um, email group, unfortunately, which we probably need to get off of, Greg. Yeah. For what's it, national natural
1: solutions? I think it's natural health, is, health solutions. Yeah.
0: And uh, or as
1: they misspell it every other email, salutions.
0: They're a big like mm-hmm. anti-vaccine, anti-government, anti-anti, anti-anti, and they believe they're that the American
1: that are against things. They are against everything, really.
0: Right. They believe that the United States government is going to, is what, what, releasing avian flu on purpose or something?
1: Yeah, they've actually found, uh, they have like videos that they link to showing that the uh, government has bought uh, millions of coffins um, for the uh, pandemic, which they will release to the population and then try to protect and then try to basically uh, inoculate people so that you can get more money for the viruses. The thing about the thing about it is, and, and this is always the problem, maybe this is the issue about on this gets back to honesty. Maybe when we start being honest, all, all of a sudden we can't stop ourselves and we go over the top. I think that's the problem here. I think that in the initial idea, which is that we way over vaccinate, I think that's true. That we are way too obsessed with taking everything in the world to protect us from symptoms. I think that's clearly true. But then to go every step further and say, and moreover, the government is actively trying to kill its citizens by introducing avian flu and then repeating that three times, like they, their last email, they said, well, our webpage was taken down by a denial of service claim. And so that shows that we're onto something. And here's this email from someone who monitors body biotech stock and that proves this person says that there's some very strange movement you know at that point you just thinking, look i mean i I, the tinfoil hats can go away okay let's let's not overreact here like the entire cdc and government is in on this conspiracy and somehow none of it has gotten out anywhere and by the way they haven't killed all the people who tried to send out these emails you know we're going to stop them by doing oh we didn't work with their little denial of service internet claim oh well i guess we'll just let them blow the cover on our whole operation like i mean it's a little too enemy in the state ish for me you know so they just go over the top the problem yeah i
2: mean the problem with the conspiracy theorists is that they're just overlooking the everyday uh, amounts of lies and deceit that we have to deal with and it's like enough to acknowledge that stuff rather than thinking that you know the black hawk helicopters are out there waiting to uh control our minds with microwave ovens and stuff like that like we got to deal with just the everyday lies before we get to the really big ones like that
1: you, you, we should look at the ones that are much closer to home, in other words, before we look to the global conspiracies.
2: Exactly. I mean, can you imagine, like, watching TV, how many lies do you absorb without even being consciously aware of it on a given day? Can you imagine how much shit is being peddled and how many ridiculous claims are being made that nobody's there to argue with or, pre- you know, prevent a uh, a reasonable opposition to? It's just just a bunch of crap.
1: In advertisement, for nonsense. example, yeah.
2: Uh, or the you know local news or you know some the moral relativism of like the world of a sitcom like it's just endless like anything that you turn on could conceivably be a totally fictional world that has no basis in reality but has been written by someone and because it's on TV it's often presented you know as fact or without any real like I said, any real opposition. So, but part of that though, That's just something we deal with all the time.
1: But part of that though is, and we, I just got back this past weekend from a reader con, which is this uh, fantasy and science fiction literature convention in Boston. I was doing a reading there, and part of the issue with that is that I think, you know, human beings love their fictions. If if you're an atheist, which none of us on this show are, um, we are sort of well, we're all over the map religiously. But um, but if you're an atheist, you believe that God, as I heard stated in one panel this weekend is the ultimate conspiracy theory, right? Because humans are always trying to figure mm-hmm. out some big master narrative to the universe. That's if right. you're an atheist. Um, we're not at that level, but I think it's fair to say that we have a good deal of skepticism about a whole host of things not necessarily religiously related. And I think part of that stems from the fact that we as human beings do love fictions. You know, we love the idea of fictional worlds. We reach out to kind of, and we see everything as part of, you know, this is why baseball players are so superstitious, right? You hit a ball and you let, you are starting to let your beard grow and all of a sudden you get like three hits in a row and you think well obviously the beard growing is what caused me to you know hit the ball three times in a row and this gets replicated in our uh, fun of the giambino right now uh just a little bit fear the stash
0: (laughs) but you know what i mean I, i don't i don't think it's so much i mean i think there's it's possibly that but i think also an aspect of it is wanting to have some kind of semblance of control over what's going on in your life and so you you grasp at straws, so if you grasp at is it this mustache, then you wanna have then you do it because the hope is you in some way have control over your destiny.
2: Yes, I agree with you. I've been reading a lot of Joseph Campbell recently who goes into basic the human yep. basic
1: need for myth and why we create myth and our uh, next album, Russ, that, is called Monomyth, oh, wow. which is a term by Joseph Campbell. Just thought that you'd bring that up. Oh nice. Yep. Yep. That's awesome.
2: Um, yeah, but I think he argues coherently that, like, wh- it has a purpose, even if it's wrong, and he obviously doesn't believe in the various creation myths that he studied in his entire life, but... He does recognize that they have a purpose in contextualizing the world for human beings in an otherwise, you know, incomprehensible reality. We need to make up stories to make it comprehensible to us. So when we lived as nomadic tribal huntsmen, a lot of the creation stories have to do with these animal gods, like bear gods and buffalo gods, and because that's basically what we were surrounded by were animals and so we assumed that they were like also sentient creatures that were there for our benefit and it was okay and the, like was a rationalization of why it was okay for For us to kill them and eat them because that's their purpose. You know they're there to give us life, as the bear gods and the buffalo gods. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so that was a rationalization, a myth. You know, creating a rationalization, and I think that makes sense. And like, I don't really oppose that idea. I think it's good to have those types of rationalizations and ability. You know, if it's if it comes down to survival, like you need to have those structures in place so that you can do what you have to do to survive. At the same token, like I think it's bad once you get so far away from knowing that you're doing that that. You know, you're no longer aware that it's possible, that it's just a big rationalization for why we have to do things, and or maybe there is no greater truth.
1: I agree, or what's worse, the idea that, you know, part of what goes into all of these fictions or myths and everything else is to not only accept your myth, but to forcibly eliminate the possibility that any other myth is truth, right? Which pretty much is the history of religion over the last thousand years. Which is, you can't just support the idea yeah. that you have the right idea, it's that everyone else clearly has the wrong idea and must be killed forcibly to prevent them from spreading their bad idea in comparison to your legitimate idea. And Mm -hmm. the number of people who have actually said you're right and also you're right, that's not a very large group.
2: I totally agree with that. Bringing it back to Campbell for a second, if you ever read any of his lectures, he just makes it so absurd to think that one religion can say that over another because he links all the religions. He says, Well, here are the religions that have stories about a virgin birth and here are the religions that have stories using serpents as metaphor and here are religions, you know, talking about resurrections. And here are religions that talk about giant floods. And you realize that really As time went on, one religion plagiarized the next religion, plagiarized the next one, and they're all derivative of the same thing, pretty much, and they all have similar stories. And so to think that each one is unique and came of its own god or has its own uh, legitimacy above the
1: others is kind of silly. Or I mean, the other thing is they even, if they just tap into, the, I mean, this is what I would think would be positive. If all these stories are connected, then it suggests that they're tapping into some kind of universe it could suggest that they're tapping into some kind of universal truth. You would think they would grab onto that and be like, see, these people agree and these people agree and these people agree. And if all of these groups come up with a similar story, similar ideas, then maybe there's something to it at the end, you know, but instead it's just like, no, but because you wear gold and I wear brown and because I wear a crazy hat and you wear, you know, strange belt all of a sudden you know and we're we're living in like the doctor seuss land where you know mm-hmm. people kill each other because one person butters their toast on one side and one person butters their toast on the other side i mean that 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 and, that's, and you know that's what, silliest, the details you know more often than
2: not, the real reason that they're killing each other is that you inhabit the land with the better soil than I do, and therefore my God is better than your God, and He says I should have the better soil for my people. and yeah, Usually, that's the way it goes.
1: Yeah, to a degree, but I think the resource argument only makes sense to. I don't think you can remove the extent to which ideology plays a significant role, even beyond resources. Like, I think resources I think generate it plays initially, role for mobilizing
2: but mobilizing people under those forces, right? Like you have a right. some kind of leading tribal chieftain guy who recognizes that these things need to be done and then instead of saying like well we need more wealth for our country therefore you know the following people will have to die he goes die for your god because you glorify god and it's your purpose in life and that's what you were built for so do it and that's a lot easier for people to digest
1: is this title actually leading chieftain guy Yes, it's Generic Leading Chieftain Guy. I am
2: Generic Leading Chieftain Guy, and I command you to seize the gold over there, because Puku Puku says that gold makes us holy, and if we don't have gold, then we're
1: inferior. Excuse me, Generic Leader Guy. Who is Puku Puku? He is Generic Leader God. Generic follower, now go over and take Generic Resource from Generic Land. Generic God. That's what we need. Like, we need a god whose name is Gennaro. And he's just generic and everything you would expect him to be. Like he says, you know, do good stuff and don't do bad stuff and, you know, worship me and don't worship them and, and take resources. And that would God sort of cover
2: be all of this. By Bruce Willis' wife from Die Hard, whose name was Holly Gennaro. Yep. <laughs> She's like, John, what are you doing, John? There are police, John. You don't need to do
1: everything. Shut up, God this is my religion no. <laughs> so I can't believe that you just made your a reference to the greatest like action movie in history about Bruce Willis's wife Holly yep. Gennaro that's that's quality yeah. work right there what people didn't realize the symbolism behind that movie was that
2: Holly Gennaro was in fact representing God and uh, John was trying to save religion for our country away from like blatant capitalism of, of uh, the Hans Gruber's of the world
1: there's a website here called GenericGod.com wow how about that? Sweet.
2: Isn't that, I mean, that's what the flying spaghetti monster is pretty much, right? That's just like yes. made up generic god. Well, you know... There you go. And, and that's, look how popular that guy is. That's right. He's doing well for himself.
1: Well, one of the interesting things was there was one of the panels at this uh, RearCon thing that I told you about was called... It uh, was about the religious um, foundation of uh, science fiction and fantasy. And their argument was that science fiction tends to have this belief in a system which is, you know, which we sort of... That, that sort of evolves over time. And the idea is that science fiction is more allied to sort of the Darwinian view of the world. Whereas fantasy is a created world. So there's much more about, you know, gods and things like that. Pretty sweeping general but that was the idea. And it was interesting that on this panel, all of these authors, and there were, by the way, way too many panelists, but I'll let that go, all of these authors felt the need to sort of say, well, as a flaming atheist myself, what well, as someone who truly doesn't believe in God or well, as someone who is a practicing Christian, what well, as someone, like they all, I don't really see why their personal individual beliefs had to come in, but they all felt sort of duty-bound to say, you know, sort of put their cards on the table and be like, well, you know what I am, I believe in this God, and I'm, well, I'm a practicing Jew, and so, you know, and then, and every Everybody was very good-natured about it, but I sort of wondered, well, why should I care? I mean, you're talking about fantasy and science fiction, not what you personally believe about, you know, the world vis-a-vis fantasy and science fiction. And yet they all felt sort of it was important to kind of get, you know, in case anyone was wondering, you know, this is being recorded for posterity. Let me just tell you where I stand, you know. So, I don't know. There's, There's a lot in our personal identification of what things we stand for, religiously anyway
2: well maybe as as fantasy authors they're like uniquely aware that they can just create world that other people believe in and follow and it's not all that different from the history of organized religion and so as such you know they sort of have a sense of humor about it or at least a sense of reality to the point where yeah somebody probably made up all of these stories that we believe in at some point or other and it's just the ones that we choose to believe in and we moralize in the ways that we choose to based on the morality that we want to construct for ourselves and and so fantasy authors you know are like well all right these things are probably made up and i make up things too but see it's it's nothing wrong with any of it if they really believe it
1: too seriously but if they really believe that don't you think that is fundamentally dishonest to get back to a dishonesty thing i mean it's one thing if you can claim i believe it and you know other people say you're wrong but i mean to actually say oh yeah i'm a christian but really i'm sure it's all made up i mean isn't there something fundamentally off about that idea
2: i don't know i mean from my perspective as a secular jew The tradition, I think, is an amazing thing and has probably been beneficial in in certain ways as far as, like, the evolution of the Jew over the last, you know, whatever, 10,000 years and the, the lore that comes with it and the study and the emphasis on learning and all that stuff, but as far as the actual religious stories go, I can take them or leave them. Like, I know they're all made up, and I don't believe in any of them, and I don't actually think that God, whatever it is, whether, you know, it represents an intelligent universe, or it represents the collective subconscious of humankind, or whether it doesn't exist in any form whatsoever, like, I could just eliminate that from the whole thing and still consider myself a Jew.
1: Right. Well, I think a lot of people have talked about the idea that there's, you know, like uh, our friend uh, Jordan was, uh, you know, culturally Jewish, used to call himself, but not religiously Jewish. And so that made, you know, Mm -hmm. a difference to him in the way that he approached it, I guess. But see, but Russ, you, but you, yeah. So in that sense, I mean, you're a you, you're a secular Jew, but we've had this discussion before. I mean, you certainly have a, a, a sort of spirituality, and we've talked about it, which does not believe that the, the universe means nothing and it's all fundamentally now here for no reason, and you know, it's all darkness and death. No, I, mean, I don't believe. You don't that believe it means that at nothing. all, right? But
2: the strange thing is that my spirituality could just as easily be interpreted as scientific. It's just that I know for a fact that we have a huge arrogance about what we know about the universe and the quality of the universe. And in a few hundred years, it could be a completely upside-down, crazy, different notion of what the universe consists of. So because I know that... And, you know, based on my life experience, there are things about the world that I know science can't explain and things that I've perceived personally and experienced that, you know, I I leave myself fairly open-minded as to what actually can exist, what the actual nature of the world is and all that stuff. But, I mean, that could just as easily be undiscovered scientific fact. It's just a question of, you know, going beyond uh, empirical knowledge of what we believe in right now.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's true. What do you think about this, Clay? You've been a spiritual searcher for a long time. I don't know. I mean...
0: I I have one of those things, I guess I just go back and forth, back and forth. And Really, in the end, I just don't want this to be it. I want there to be something more. So really, my search just comes from fear, which I guess in a way is what most people, what turns many people to
1: religion. Well, it can, but I I think I've always found, you know, Russ's view on this to be a sort of, kind of an uplifting one, because it doesn't, because I I do think that, and this is kind of the thing with the whole fantasy sci-fi group, you know, I think Russ is right about not only the arrogance, but the kind of I don't take any joy in sort of being like, oh, isn't it laughable all these crazy mythologies and all these crazy myths? And aren't they? I mean, that, to me, that's like it really is almost patronizing. And I think just as I don't want to have some religious zealot explaining to me that uh, God is infinite, but now I'm going to put him in a box by telling you that gay people can't get married, I also don't want someone to tell me that uh, all rules are arbitrary and nothing means anything. And uh, you know, the, and because again, as Russ said, you can't you, you can't know for sure, and there are things that can't be explained either religiously. Or scientifically, and so i 'd say the jury's still out on that, but I guess the fact that everyone needs to sort of subdivide it and restrict it and you know and, and just say you know this is, this is it, and that 's all. I don't know, that's the thing that surprises me, that we're still, even in 2008, in that mold, you know?
2: I mean, that's also why I happen to value super practical ideologies, like humanism is one of my favorites, because what humanism says is... Right, I mean, okay, so humanism does assume that there's basically no God, at least in the traditional sense of the, you know, standard religious God. But it also says that regardless of whether there is a God or not, what we know for a fact is that people are here, and therefore all of the responsibility and accountability of things falls to people. And that means we have to take care of each other, we have to, you know, secure a peaceful world, and we have to make sure that the lowest of us is, you know, as good, as well off as anyone else, because that represents our morality, is how well we take care of our fellow humans. And that, to me, that makes sense. I mean, regardless of, of what your God might think or your religion is, it just, it's good to have some nice people practical morality, where it's, the morality is take care of people and make sure that, you know, everyone's lot is as good off as it could be, and I, I can't really see any fault, and the like, golden rule type stuff seems to be the way to go as far as morality, without even getting into the question of you know, what your god looks like, or what Puku Puku says,
1: so. Or generic leader type god. It's hard to say, also, yeah. I mean, it's hard to see why, although that's actually kind of generic leader type rule, I guess, is the golden rule, but it's hard to see what any god, would like, could one construct a god as like, okay, Wait, you want to make things better for most people? No. No, I'm sorry. Um, The answer is you must execute everybody and then you must sacrifice a goat to me. And that's the answer. Well, yeah, the the reason
2: for that that is. is that most ancient civilizations that were in the position of having to create their own god were also in the position of being, you know, in tribal conflict with other tribes and being in a struggle, a constant struggle for survival, and therefore their god that they invented needed to justify the kind of actions they had to take for their own survival. So a warm, fuzzy god back then would not have really served a purpose. It would have probably caused those people to, you know, go extinct. No, see, I don't know about that. No one ever gave it a shot. I think you, you could argue that a warm fuzzy god would actually be uh, in a better place now because we have a much more interconnected world than we used to, and it would actually be beneficial to everyone for everyone to be on the same side. That's I don't know so about maybe that. Maybe it's time for a new god. What if, what that if, believes in that?
1: What if there was a warm fuzzy Aztec tribe though? You know, and maybe we, you know, no one ever gave it a try. <laughs> a warm and the people were like, fuzzy uh, Aztec. Everyone is like, tribe? I will execute you to uh, yeah. Quetzalcoatl, the bird god, and they'd say, No, no, there's no need for that. My god, which is a fuzzy bear, says that it's okay to love everyone, and here, let me keep you a bear hug like maybe that would have so thrown off their enemies that their enemies would have lost by default because they the wouldn't have reason, been able to believe that you know what i mean the reason that we don't know about that tribe today is because they, they were the face the <laughs> and
2: They're buried under the ruin no, no. of more <laughs> successful
1: tribes no but that would show up in somebody's narrative right like and then this crazy person is like oh i've got huggy bear here and we're like really have a spear through the throat like i mean you know
0: is this going to go along the same lines as the um Viking with refuses to fight. The pacifist argument. Viking.
1: The pacifist Viking. Yes. I mean, you know, I'm just saying that it's entirely possible, you know that, is, that, that there was a you know, that there was a peace loving religion that, you know I mean look, there were there were differences in the Native American oh, well, tribes. Most, I mean some Native it, American tribes were peaceful and others were more warlike.
0: I think, I think most of the people that talk about the female focused religions or something were the more loving and supportive and religions. And nurturing, right. you might say. No, uh, I wouldn't say that.
1: You right. you wouldn't say nurturing? No. Well, it's possible.
2: You know, actually Joseph Campbell says the opposite of that. He says that the he female gods are worse that well, that there were two basic types of ancient society. One was the hunter-gatherer society, which was a male-dominated society because it, was, it relied on large game and, like, large bands of males having to hunt that game and bringing back food for the village. And so the gods that sprang up in those type of villages were often, like, the bear gods and the buffalo gods and, like, very often peaceful, like, welcoming gods who said that it's okay to kill us because we're here to provide food for you and keep you alive. <laughs> And the other types of societies, which were like the, Go ahead kill the female-dominated societies where the resources were abundant that were like berries and nuts, and most of the work was done uh, by females, or at least they would lead the work because it was that type of gathering, preparing, cooking, medicines, that type of stuff. Because of the angst that the men felt in those particular tribes for not being the caretakers of the tribe, they invented like lots more angry, vengeful gods that would do like human sacrifice and this is like getting Ooh, into invented. the
1: Aztecs amended,
2: the Incas, yeah, so the men did, because basically it was like a cathartic thing. Like, they didn't have a venue to get out, like, their natural inclinations for violence, and because they lived in such a peaceful, docile society, their gods had to be, like, super aggressive and super bloodlusty and bloodthirsty, and because of that, those are the the societies that ended up having, like, human but sacrifice. But wait, I'm not following all the this. worst parts of religion that we know
1: about. Why? Because they needed balance? They said, you know, the problem with this world is that it's too damn peaceful. Let's have some vengeful gods. Like, I don't, I don't really...
2: Yeah, it's because because of angst because the men were you know of they angst. were unhappy with, with their lot and being important in society and so they had to be like violent religious figures to get out the, uh, the, the inheritance how are you doing like,
1: Steve I'm alright Ted whatever you look down well That's, you know the problem Ted that was the, I, the men. I just wish That's we had happened. more violence That's Why? I, you know <laughs> I wish we had more people killing each other why can't we have that you know we could the other day I saw a lightning flash on the hilltop and I was thinking, what would happen if that was a god who was really angry? Wouldn't you just like to, don't you hate it when they tell us just get some more berries? Wouldn't you like it if we could kill some people, Ted? You're right, Steve. I never thought of it that way. I feel better already. Is that the narrative? that? Like, so,
2: so this is not to blame anything on the women, per se. This is just to say that the women-dominated societies were the ones that often created the most like vengeful, bloodthirsty <laughs> gods. I see. And honestly, like... <laughs> but not I to blame that, it on the women. But the women didn't do it. It was, the, it was the men who did it, because they felt, you know, they didn't feel like they were contributing enough, so they needed to contribute some kind of mayhem and destruction to the, to the pool there. Mm. Um, but, like, I think that's kind of happening in our current society, where, you know, the old stories aren't nearly as complex compelling as they used to be and people are searching for meaning and so we have american gladiators because that's what we could believe in we live in this very secure sort of a police state where there's very little violence in day-to-day life and so we live off of the the local news and off of the carnage that goes on rarely around the world and off of violent tv and movies and that's how we We get it out of our systems.
1: I don't know that we really, I think you'd be the first person in the history of of, uh, 2008, anyway, to actually claim that we're living in a safe world that doesn't have a lot of violence that requires the construction of American
2: gladiators. And
1: the point is we generate the pop
2: culture here. And so since we live in the safest society of most societies around the world, like that's the type of pop culture we generate because we're complacent and bored and there's not enough day-to-day survival. So we need to have that extra amount of violence in our entertainment.
0: No, I think that that comes from our Puritan sexual repression, that they would then turn to violence. That's true. Since we can't have sex mm-hmm. on TV.
2: That also explains pornography.
1: Right. If I can't see Janet Jackson's breast freely on network TV, then it's time to cut off some heads. That's kind of the way it looks, they look at it. I think. Oh, they're coming for you, Russ. <laughs> I am a vegetable the god. Dogs, yeah. This is
2: the Beverly Hills version of the animal warrior god. Is a little pooch with a pink
1: <laughs> sweatsuit on, a track pants. I want to try you. Yep, yep, oh my God, that's funny. I, I, yeah, I guess I guess I guess the one thing I would say is that it seems to me that in all of these cases that we're talking about, I, I just wish that we we have I think at least in the younger generations a kind of general at least in America I should say so let me qualify it a few more places at least in New York City near where I live at least in my neighbor's house, but at least in the United States we have a kind of general. Um, And the younger generation's a who-cares attitude, which has both negatives and positives, which I think we've talked about before. The negative is that there's a kind of apathy that sets in, but the positive is that people just don't see what the big deal is about the things that our parents thought were big deals. And I wonder why there can't be more of that when it comes to issues of religion. Not to say who cares, but to sort of take down the stakes a notch so that we can actually have these discussions reasonably and not go, well, my God is the God, why? Because of this. My God is the God, why? Death! You know, and all of a sudden it's, you know, we we kill each other. You know, what is, what is it that leads us to that sort of overreaction, you know, instead of having a more, I don't know, a more relaxed uh, kind of devil may care attitude if you'll pardon the pun
0: i just want to make a note here that the lights just dim slightly twice that's true because we're having a major th- a major thunderstorm
2: just erupted outside your god is angry the god of riverdale <laughs> does not like these discussions
1: <laughs> you will cease this because our god was created by jewish matrons in riverdale who were kind of like you know angsting at the fact that they got that's to right. you know go whatever they wanted so they made a vengeful god you flippantly question my existence? Brownouts!
2: Brownouts everywhere!
1: <laughs> the local gods of Riverdale. That would be very convenient, actually, if we had just a, a series of local gods. That would really make things a lot easier. Like, Russ, I could imagine you having like a mm-hmm. local Beverly Hills god and, you know we'd all have yeah, it's certain, like
2: a local sports team yeah it's like you got someone to root for they go to pitch battle against other gods every now and again and nobody ever dies they will come back with a winning and losing record and sometimes your god is champion of gods and you get to walk around with your little totems you know for your particular city's god and show them off to other people yeah, absolutely and works for I me mean, that's pretty much what we do i mean that's did i did i tell you guys that i oh wow I was going to bring this up, and I can't think of a more... Did so they tell you that I met God? Than right now. No, you didn't. Yeah. This was Bush. It was, like, on fire for a long time. <laughs> and I was like, what's up, Bush? I actually decided a couple weeks ago that the closest thing that I have in my life to religion is baseball. Really? Yes. And not because I have... Well, here's why. Here's why I think that baseball, and, you know, maybe for a lot of people, is so has sort of replaced standard concepts of religion. Okay, here's something that I know way too much about to an irrational level. Like it doesn't enhance my life that I know that like Moses Fleetwood Walker was the first black man to ever play professional baseball for the Toronto Blue Stockings in the late eighteen seventies. Like there's no reason I should know that. It doesn't enhance my life. I spend all this time studying it, thinking about it, thinking how cool it is, how it's an art form, how it represents something larger than life. And it has, like, this weird esoteric value in people's lives, and it's hard to explain. It's not just entertainment. It's not just a way to take your mind off things. It's like this art form that a lot of us who are big baseball fans consider to be sort of larger than life, that, like, life is this sort of big mess, but baseball has rules, and it's a game, and it makes sense, and it sort of puts everything in order. And in the way that it does that, the you know, play to play, it's sort of an art form. And... Given that, the way that people think about it, or fanatics do like I do in that way, the fact that we spend so much time agonizing over the details of the game, it really is the closest thing that a lot of, like, modern atheists have to religion. And it's a healthy religion, because you can go to the stadium and you can act like a crazy religious fanatic and scream at people and call for their deaths and wear your religious vestments of, like, the saints of, like, Mantle, in my case, of Mantle and DiMaggio and Ruth and, like, you know... We we bring those saints back into the game. And we talk about the ghosts of the stadium, and there's all this like superstition surrounding it, and all this lore, and all this shit. It's it's pretty much full functioning religion.
1: Well, I, for any given sports team, I think I I think that there's some uh, I think that there's some logic to that. I think what's interesting though is that you said as you were going through it that it's a real it's a religion for modern atheists. Except that baseball and religion has a long and storied history, you know, and there are a lot of religious people who are very much into baseball and who see parallels between what they view as the, you know, sort of the universal order and baseball itself. In fact, I would almost argue that as a, as a again, as Andy terms me, a hopeful agnostic myself, not an atheist, um, hoping that there is something else beyond there, I often find that there's something encouraging about not so much the order of baseball, but the fact that baseball is, baseball just always goes on. You know what I mean? That's one of the nice things about having a long season. You know, it's kind of continual. It's always in the background. It's sort of comforting to know you can turn it on. And whatever else crappy is going on in the world, there's some guy pitching a ball to someone who's going to try to hit it with a bat. And there's the statistic. And that guy has been up a bat 500 times. And that's all they do. And there's something comforting, I think, about the idea that no matter what else is going on in the world, baseball exists as a paradigm. And baseball's there, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think in that sense, there is something kind of... Uh, Sort of religiously powerful about it, uh, you know, and and I whether it's a substitute and for or reflective of religion. To me, it seems pretty highly evolved in that it it
2: has all of these characteristics of religion, and yet nobody's killing each other over it. I mean, you know, occasionally you'll have the riots when your city's team wins At the Yankee World Stadium. Series, but like that's <laughs> a small price to pay for having like a fully functional religion where you don't have to hate anybody other than in the context of like just some uh, harmless making fun of Met fans or some harmless chiding at the stadium but there's never like axe through the head full-fledged fanaticism that you see with like the old school religion so in that way I think it's a good it's on a good track it, it's doing it's, it's evolving
1: it seems like that although you know you do have to remember that there have been instances like the guy who went out and tried to attack the umpire or when they had to bring the riot police out of Yankee Stadium during the 04 ALCS I mean there are moments where violence tends to intrude although there I guess the the you know there's such an incredible societal bias against it you know rick sutcliffe basically saying this is a disgusting display and it's everyone's just like ah death you know that everyone you know doesn't even bother to you know everyone just as a general populist loathes displays of violence from people outside of the stands so you know, I guess I guess, although there is violence that, that sort of creeps into it, it's so, you know, completely shunned and rejected and all that, maybe it has done a way, come up with a way of sort of controlling violent urges in humankind onto a playing field, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I mean, logically it is the extension of, like, the gladiator pits and all that stuff. We just need to have that influence in our lives, especially if we live, like I said, in a secure society where we don't have to deal with survival issues on a day-to-day basis. But... I don 't know, I think it also has taken on these other aspects, you know the these religious aspects that I happen to like if this is an analog I like, I like my religion in like nobody would ever like they consider baseball as a holy sport, you know a lot of relig- baseball fanatics do, but at the same token they just don 't take it quite as seriously as they would an honest to goodness religion, and I, I like that. I like the fact that people can be a little bit more like they can acknowledge that it 's okay to be an insane person in the stadium and then go back to a normal life and not be a crazy person you know with your friends at home and like religious people can't make that distinction they just have to be crazy all the time
1: except for if you're steve bartman who uh ruined the cubs in 2003 and then had to move because he was getting death threats but i suppose otherwise that your idea kind of fits um
2: yeah, but again, like it's still not as bad as uh, you know, the raping of youngsters in the in the Catholic Church or whatever. No, I like, suppose that's true. you know
1: it's gotten. <gasps> Although better. speaking of the Catholic,
2: And even compared to older sports like soccer, like hooligan soccer hooligans that's are true. historically way worse than baseball that's fans. A good point. Like they murder people for committing own goals and stuff like that, and we don't do that in baseball. That's a
1: good point. Although I'd like to involve You realize that by bringing up the Catholic Church, you brought up one other major issue, though, which is in this paradigm, who would be the Pope?
2: The Pope is, is the commissioner, Bud Selig. isn't he? So you're telling me that Bud Selig he, is the Pope? He, he in, That's disturbing. Well, not every Pope is a winner, you know? Oh yes. Exactly. I like to reaffirm things as I say them. Clear re-enters the conversation um, not so being guess,
1: interested in the religious component of baseball. Yeah. She's
2: like, what? She re-enters the conversation <laughs> by going... <laughs> <laughs> um, Greg's double so I guess if baseball, if, if baseball is religion, then I guess what I did recently was like face the great board of inquisitors and not be burned at the stake this week. So that was
1: Oh, good. yes, you should talk about this. This is uh from this is MEP Report stuff and Cleo will be interested because I haven't told her about this yet.
2: So for those of you who visit the uh, the front page of the MEP report you'll notice that we <laughs> those have of a meeting all of you up there. Well, I mean some people might just be subscribed and getting their shit automatically and not visit the web page itself, but there was some action on the web page so I wanted to direct people back there. I made a video basically ceremonializing Josh Hamilton's performance in the Home Run Derby where he set the record for home runs in a single round and hit ball after ball further than anybody had ever seen anyone do before in this ridiculously amazing display of power to the point where People, as Greg pointed out, um, one columnist said, you know, Babe Ruth opened the stadium and Josh Hamilton just closed the stadium because it was that kind of historic level display of power. Right. So anyway, so that went on. I thought it was amazing. And when I see things like that, I often think that the mass media probably won't react to it properly in the way that I think they should and give it the proper credit for what we just saw. So I made a little silly video where I like took one of his home runs and set it to the theme of the natural. Which clearly I just saw. And did some VO. Oh, and oh, really? Yeah, I just, I just saw that also. Um, anyway, it was like a minute and a half, and uh, the next day I got it featured on Sports Illustrated's website, SportsIllustrated.com, because they have like a fan video of the day every day, and this is the second time that mep Report related content has made it there. The first one was the Carl Pavano is a douchebag video, <laughs> which was one of my favorite creations. Of still all is. Time. It still is. And the day after it was on Sports Illustrated, it got a bunch of hits. Um, It was doing well. And then I think what happened was I emailed it to a bunch of uh, Texas Rangers correspondents on the web to see if they would pick it up and bring it to the fans. And instead, probably what one of them did was they sent the information to the attorneys of Major League Baseball, who summarily sent a notice to YouTube that this video infringing on their trademark rights, and had the video taken down from YouTube. And so I was livid, of course, because that is ridiculous. And I mean, here's the thing. For them to do that, they actually have to believe that in some way, my minute and a half Video entitled "The Great Hambino" is somehow like taking revenue away from Major League Baseball teams. That like I have stolen something from Major League Baseball or used something in a way to make profit for myself that would ordinarily go to you know the trademark owners. Which in other words, that you are the golden letter.
1: calf, which people should worship instead of Major League Baseball. To continue the religion yeah. analogy.
2: I mean. For of all, the purpose of the video was to call attention to this event and to make Hamilton's performance more well-known and to give more publicity to Hamilton, more publicity to the All-Star game, to make people feel really special about what happened this year and have a greater connection to baseball. All these things are good for baseball. There's nothing in there that's like, oh, well, since I saw that 45-second replay of that one home run, now I don't have to buy Major League Baseball's like, DVD release of the home run derby of the three-hour exhibition because I saw 30 seconds of it in Russ's video. Like, give me a break, okay? Not, I'm not sitting here, like, ripping things off of my TV and rebroadcasting them on YouTube so that, you know, you can't sell MLB TV to people. Like, that's but, what these but trademark just... things are actually for.
1: Let me just read to our listeners, though, some of one of Russ's parts of the event. This is my favorite part. He says, uh the historical okay, so just to give
2: context, this is, when, when they took it down, I sent in a counter notice, which you can send into YouTube, and then YouTube sort of just sends these notices back and forth. They're not really like a judge and jury, but they'll just err on the side of the copyright infring- infringement notice. So you have to send in a counter notice if you want it put back up.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I thought that YouTube was just going to ignore it and say whatever, but it actually, you'll see. So it said, uh, so Russ says at one point, the historical recording and capturing of Hamilton's derby performance belongs to Major League Baseball. The event in itself does not. The interpretation of such an event in the public discourse is not for Major League Baseball to determine or influence. These events that affect our perceptions of our natural pastime, national pastime cannot be copyrighted. The discussion and dissemination of ideas relating to them cannot be censored. There are countless cases of MLB pursuing copyright infringements that go beyond their rights as copyright holders. Evidence of overzealous prosecution has been abundant. This Sisyphean struggle to stop any and all interpretations of Major League Baseball will essentially fail. I, I just really, really love that part. I mean, I think what happened to us is that they actually saw the email in which you said, this Sisyphean struggle, and decided, oh, dear God, we must retreat a full bore. This person is way above our head. <laughs> it would be great yeah, if Bud Selig was like, I like the rolling boulders like, up oh, the earth, you know?
2: He rolled, I don't want to roll boulders up a hill for the rest of my life. Perhaps we should stop this. Yes. He, or he tries to respond we, with his own mythology.
1: Wrong. He's just like, we believe that Thank uh, you, as Tantalus
2: Drive. <laughs> you've shown <laughs> us the way. We're all quitting our jobs as Major League Baseball attorneys <laughs> and taking up positions in the MEP report as staff attorneys. We will back you from here on out. And so what happened, Russ? Oh, so I sent in the notice, um, which YouTube forwarded to the attorneys for Major League Baseball, and today, Major League Baseball received my notice and freaked out and said, whoa, 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 calm down there, buddy. Uh, we didn't mean it. We lied. It's not an infringement at all. In fact, have your videos back. the Internet. And so you, YouTube... You yeah, win not the Internet. <laughs> you the Internet. Major League Baseball surrendered, and the great Hambino was restored on YouTube um, to the glory of the Bep report and his participation. Well uh, done.
1: You faced down and defeated Major League Baseball in all of its non, non-glory.
2: one MLB0. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: My god is greater than your god. Uh, uh, it uh, is. The uh.
2: emu destroyed the shit out of
1: the silhouette of the batter's head guy. <laughs> <laughs> very impressive and i think i think that ending on a victory is probably a good thing uh and we actually are at the end of an hour so if you actually uh, you should check out the video our loyal listeners and you should send in your own things to major league baseball thanking major league baseball for understanding the value of this and suggesting that the Mep report be asked to make special reports on baseball from all the stadiums in major league baseball um providing our own brand of commentary on baseball we think that's only right and we can say things like Sisyphean struggle in all the baseball stadiums. You
0: still haven't made that video of you, Russ, battling 105-year-olds or
1: 2-year-olds or whatever it was. Speaking of Sisyphean struggle, that I would don't, something. I don't have the After Effects capability
2: because I don't want to actually have to film it. I would only do it if it were CGI, and I think that's a little over my head right we'll now. But I'm we'll work, every time I get a little better, but I learn a little more about it. We'll editing, see. so eventually
0: only getting just gonna
2: I know it's right if you well, don't take you, centivine out now i I'll probably be able to do it. okay <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably have the knowledge that it takes. <laughs> we can only <laughs> help. years of study.
1: So, uh, we want to thank everyone for listening, as always, and checking out uh, our show about religion and baseball and whatever else. For those of you here for the first time, no, we don't always talk about this, but uh, it's the way the show is. Sometimes it works out that way. And uh, we want to thank everyone for listening, as always. Make sure you get in contact with us during all the many various ways that you can do so, and check us out at MedReport.com. And uh, we will uh, talk to you guys soon. Say goodbye, everybody.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Do you you know how to say goodbye, everybody, in ten different languages Russ?
2: Um, I, too. I can't, can't do it anymore. Farewell. Saina.
1: Auf Wiedersehen. Aloha. Shalom. Goodbye, gay. The one Goodbye, constant of all the years, Ray, has been podcasts.
2: America's rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been a race like a blackboard. Rebuilt
1: and raced again. But podcasts have marked the times. Oh, they this will come, Ray. They will definitely come, way. Ray. <laughs> a part of our past
2: it reminds us of once was good and could be again oh <laughs> emus will come ray emus will most definitely come
1: Ba-ba! <laughs> the proceeding was a presentation of the Mep report hosted at www.mapreport.com all rights reserved In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron, or at least not the stupid one of the cars. Please support the Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for Mep link on the Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at greg, russ, story, or andy at MepReport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu glands. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross.